in my office, I have a coffee table. And on that coffee table, I have uh, our 360 vision book. It's a str- our strategic plan, why we do what we do and how we do it. And uh, if you've not picked up one of those, man, I cannot encourage you to, to do that uh, enough. So I have that laying on my coffee table. I also have a book entitled Do Hard Things. It reminds me that this this journey that we're on is not supposed to be easy. And that as human beings, we often take the past, a path of least resistance. And as Christians, that's an easy trap to fall into. So I'm constantly reminding myself, and I love visuals. I have visuals all over uh, my, uh, my office. I have a, an hourglass to remind me that time is short, tempest fugit. I have di- di- different things all around my office. And so uh, in addition to these two books sitting on my coffee table, I have this pair of aviator goggles. Because when people come into my office... Um, I don't put them on because, especially if I don't know them, they're like, wow, this guy's wackadoodle. But I have them sitting there to remind me that there are times where we strap on the goggles, where we're going to go move forward and we're going to move into new territory. So if you're going to be on the team, you're going to have to put these things on and realize that we may be moving at a new speed and a new gear. I hope that there, there are people here in this room, and I assume there are, and actually I know that there are, that are, that are in that mindset of like, man, let's go, let's, that, let's move ahead as a church, let's move ahead and encourage with humility and those things. So this is going to be the strap on the goggles, uh, a few weeks of looking forward to, to the horizon. As we begin this, this new year for me, I want to continue this conversation about humility. Now, to be honest with you, I had planned to end this collection in December, at the end of December. And I had a neat and uh, clean uh, cutoff, and then at the beginning of the year, we'd start something new. But I, I can only say to you that I, uh, as a pastor, I do my best to lean in and try to listen to God. And for the and and so when I do that. The question is, do I hit it right every single time? Yes, I do. I'm kidding. I, I don't. But I try. And and so there are times where are like, man, we're not done with this conversation yet. I'm like, oh, there's wrestling going on. And I think that you'll see today why it's so important that we have a few more weeks talking about humility. We started this collection, what, back in 2012? It feels that way, uh, a few months ago. And I, I'm going to start today by looking at the visual of where we began. When you look at this picture that's in front of us, you'll notice that there's kind of a light, uh, looks like a, uh, a band of light coming across the top there diagonally. And I'll remind you of that little speck. Do you see it? That little speck, this photograph was taken from outer space towards earth. And that little speck is earth. And I'm reminded in that visual that our life is shorter than we can imagine. That when we pass from death to life, as we talked about, as we already sang about in our, our worship songs this morning, that I have the sense that we'll look back and think, wow, that was a lot shorter than I thought. That was a, that was a lot less worrisome. I should have worried a lot less. And when I look at that little speck, this little speck that we live on and relative to the whole universe, it causes me to say, man, we got to get it done. We must do the work of God because we're not here forever and that we, we've got.
got to get it done. So we begin today by me reminding us of our assignment here on the spec, the work that we're, we're set out to do. In fact, we open our strategic plan with this. Very simple. We call it the what? In other words, what are we supposed to be doing here on earth? Love God, love people, share Christ, and make disciples. I can't think of anything else as a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, that I would add to this list. And this is not our list. This is the list that we find in the New Testament. Now, the challenge with this list is that it seems so simple. It's four items of two words each. Love God, love people, uh, share Christ, make disciples. So you might uh, fall into the subtle mistake of saying, oh, it's so simple, that makes it easy. Far from the truth. You can pick any single one of these and they are challenging beyond words. Let's take the first one. Just to love God. We love God and each of these, you can, there's subcategories. To love God, we must walk with Him. We must have time in prayer. How's your prayer life? Is it a struggle for you to spend consistent time with God in prayer? I mean, every single one of us would say, no, I roll out of bed and just roll right into two hours of prayer. That part of loving God and being consistent with it is a challenge for us. Why? Because we're, 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 um, designed in this, in, in such a way that we have self part of us. That's, we're contaminated by Adam's mistakes. We've talked about that a lot in our church. We're also, we also live in a culture that's self oriented. It's our schedule, our ambition, our children, our uh, uh, agendas, all those things. And then to say to love God in the midst of being contaminated by Adam's stuff, and then to to, to live in a, as a self centered culture and to to love God, man, that's a challenge. To love people, oh my goodness, there's a lot of ways that we love people, and that's not just by being nice. At 360, we've tried to say, can we love in such a way that's messy? Because that's the way Jesus did it. Can we love in such a way that's honest, transparent, etc.? So each of these, when I look at this whole list, I'm reminded of perhaps the greatest challenge that we face as human beings. And that greatest challenge in my mind is balance. It's balance. I mean, just about the time I feel like, okay, I'm spending enough time with my wife. I'm like, oh, I'm not spending enough time with God. Okay, I'm spending enough time with my wife. I'm spending, I'm, I'm spending time with God, but now I'm not, I've let my body go. I'm not working out. Okay, I'm working out. Now I'm not, not spending time with God, and I'm not flossing, dog on it. And I get, okay, I gotta floss. I gotta spend time with God. I gotta, I gotta work. I gotta get to my body. And it's like I haven't read the Bible. Ha! I gotta read the Bible. You know how it is. It's like it's like working out in the gym. You know the guys that walk around the gym, man. They're like they could like crush your head like a nutcracker, you know. And then they got the bird legs. I'm like, you need to work the legs, dude. You know, because nobody can see them, right? They're wearing trousers. That's what it is. So if I'm just doing this in the gym all the time, something's out of out of kilter, out of balance. So today we're going to talk about us collectively. As individuals, as difficult as it is to be in balance, it's true for, for a team. It's true to, for a, a church, an organization, the PTA, name an organization. It's, it's true collectively. It's hard. We have to work hard at trying to be in balance. So, in order to look forward, I'm going to start with a little history today. Because I think it's important, all through the Old Testament, 
they kept reviewing. Okay, don't forget you were in Egypt, then God brought you out, he sent you in the wilderness, and then here's where we're at right now. So it's like you are here in the in the mall map. We're going to spend a little time. Now, some of you would say, oh, gosh, I've heard this history a lot. If you've been around the number of years, I've heard this a lot. But there's a reason why we repeat, and I'm going to share that with you a little bit later. There's a reason we repeat. For some of you, you're kind of new to 360, and a little history of who we are and where we've come from will be helpful. So we're going to begin this history uh, uh, track with, since I'm the leader, we're going to begin it with me. I began early reading the scripture. I started reading the Bible at an early age. Um, the sad thing is that actually is me. Uh, I photoshopped that, and I'm—is that a bow tie I'm sporting there? And like, um, so it, it kind of—I I didn't st- stick with God long. My brother and I became gangsters uh, after a while, and uh, that's Easter morning. That explains a lot of why I love church, and. Uh, but then I kind of came around. I became that Christian dork, and everybody has that year. You know that year, you know, where you got the braces. I'm still wearing a bow tie. My mother's sitting here. Let's talk afterwards, shall we? Anyway, that's not the history we were talking about. Could you take that off the screen? Um, anyway, we launched this church in 2006, nine wonderful, challenging, joyful years ago. It has truly been a ride, and... Uh, and so the first four years, when we look at the next uh, uh, place on our timeline, we did a lot of acts of kindness. Many of you have heard us talk about this for four years. We went out to the community. We shared with the community uh, nice things. We'd give them care packages, hot dogs, go on the beach, give them water. And, and you know, when you're starting out, you have the best of intentions. And you're like, man, this is what we should be doing. And and in this engagement, there were a couple of things that were, that, that were not... Uh, tuned up. Here's the first one. We never shared the gospel. We went out, we did nice things, but and occasionally we'd say, God loves you, but we never came to that point of engaging people with the gospel. And and the other thing is at the end of four years, we looked at each other and said, let's take an honest look at this. Man, we're not relationally digging down with anybody here. We're, we're just going out, we're doing a few nice things and kind of the hit it and quit it and whatnot. And so we had the courage as leaders to come to the church and you had, so many of you had the openness to say, this is not working. We gotta, we gotta shut it down. We have to take another approach and another, another plan. Of course, you know, collectively as a team, you know, when you make those significant decisions, everybody loves it. Everybody's on the same, you know, not always. Those are tough decisions as leaders. But we said, let's get a plan together. And not not uh, not just any plan, but let's put thousands of hours. So that was the next point of our, on our timeline. We we truly spent thousands of hours creating a, a strategic vision plan. And again, if you're new to the church, I can't encourage you. If this is going to be your church, man, this is going to be your team. Find out about who we are and what we're about and what makes us tick and all that. We have a, a, a vision book that's quite easy to, to to read. As many of you know, then what we said is, look, we must care for one another in a way, quite frankly, that many of us, our churches have not cared for us. We call it row four, that we can't, we can't go outside. So we 
uh, first, we, we, we need to make sure that we're being authentic and we're taking care of one another and uh, creating a, a discipleship. So we, our focus was in the four walls, creating, taking years to write discipleship so that we can train people up to go out and, and to care for one another so that we're not caring for people out there and not caring for them. So at this intersection, when you look at the balance of, of those four tasks that we have, uh, when we looked at before, if we can go to the next slide, these were the tasks we were loving God, loving people, making disciples, but we said, for right now, let's make sure that we're taking care of one another before we go out with a lot of activity out into the, in, into the community. Because see, here's the deal. If you go out into the community and you're caring for them and you're sharing Christ and whatnot, and they find out that you really don't give too much, too much care for one another in here, guess what they call that? Fake. And once people smell fakeness, they don't want to have anything to do with the message that you take out there. Not only that, you must prepare yourself in order to go out. This is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't come down for a week and do a conference. He came down for three and a half years and he prepared 12 men, more than 12 men, actually, because there were other follow, a lot of other followers. But he pre- prepared every single day because he said, we're going to go out. He kept telling, we're going to go out. And so... I, over the past few weeks, and really wrestling with with th- this message today, because today, when you when we look at the history uh, four years from now of, of 360, this is a very pivotal day. This is a day that we've waited for because of where we're going to go. It's a very exciting moment. But I got to tell you, uh, I, as a shepherd, there's a lot that, that you carry. And you carry the, the weight of, God, this is your church, and we want to go in your direction, not mine. And so you wrestle and you pray and you say, God, is this the time? And there's times that I want to. And so over the past few weeks, this is where I've settled. Like, why, if someone said, why do you, why did you take that, uh, that approach? Here's, here's what I want to, uh, to, to write down. In fact, you, you might take a pen out and write this phrase down because I want you to carry it with you. If you do, if you don't have anything to write with, just write on the person's shirt next to you. That'd be cool. And then you can make sure you're going home with them. We cannot reach over. To reach out. You see, as a pastor, I'm told in the scriptures that if I can't take care of my household, then I can't be a pastor and care for you. I can't reach over my family in order to reach out to you. It's not allowed in the scriptures. There are times that in the, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, like in 1 Corinthians 13, you remember where he's like, hey, if you give yourself to the flames, if you give all your money away, if you're doing all these things, but you don't have love, you can't reach over love to reach out. I can't reach out and do great things in the world and do these epic things and reach over. So what we've said is we cannot reach over ourselves, not caring for one another in order to reach out. I wanted you to play along with me. Would you say this with me? Because sometimes when you say it out loud, it sticks with you. Let's say it together. We cannot reach over to reach out. I hope that that settles within you. But there comes a time where we are compelled to go out to share Christ. What I'm here to say to the church in this timeline of our uh, of our 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 team, our tribe, as we'll study coming up is that we sense that God has been moving in us for the last three or four weeks for me to announce today that we're opening our doors, that we believe that it's time for us to go out. Now, I'll tell you 
why now uh, at this intersection a little bit later? So when we look back at the timeline, we believe now it's time to engage the community. Now, careful, as we go into this next phase of 360, what I'm not saying is, now that we've cared for one another, forget you, we're going into the community. Of course not. So it's really in-reach plus outreach. We're adding to what we uh, are doing. We are not going to reach over you now any more than we would four years ago to go out. So when we look at this this um, uh, uh, very important intersection, let me tell you that it is already our heart, and in some ways we have been reaching out. For example, many of you know we go to the pregnancy center, the pregnancy medical center here in Sarasota. And here's what I want to kind of paint a picture in the next two minutes. There are different ways to love God. There are different ways to love people. There are different ways to share Christ. Some people are comfortable. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert, and I'm but I'm very comfortable and and somewhat uh, I'm okay. I'll say maybe is a better word with sharing Christ with someone I haven't met. Do I have total ease with that? No. Some of you would be like, ah, I'm freak you out. But some of you are more intellectual. You would say, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose an apologetics point of view. It's a wonderful book that Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg wrote years ago called Becoming a Contagious Christian. And it was a relieving book. I was I was leading a small group, and it was a relieving book to so many of us because it was like, oh, some are Peter, some are John, some are Barnabas. Some share Christ by saying, here's my story. Here's the way I was before Christ. And then he changed my life. Here's the way I was after. They're telling a story. There's some people that say, man, I'm intellectual. Let me explain to you about the Lamb of God all through the Old Testament and how when Jesus came, you know, I I, I love this approach. In fact, we have an apologetic small group in our church who are challenged every week to pick a person that they're in relationship with and talk to them about their worldview through the lenses of apologetics. We so we build relationships. So you can build relationships as we do with the uh, uh, the pregnancy center. Of course, uh, we uh, go into schools. We have um, through Pastor John Carrico, our children's and middle school pastor. We're in two middle schools and after school programs and three elementary schools, talking to them at an entirely different level. It looks all different. Of course, we support Love Serves in the Dominican Republic and, and the, the way that they serve the community and they build relationships through that and then share Christ. Of course, with Rob Chestnut and, and Audrey Chestnut in the Czech Republic where they, they reach people through summer camps of, of sports and music and then the, these younger kids come and then they share the stories and, uh, of Christ. We support City Commit, uh, a ministry here led by Brian Yost in Sarasota that uh, they have businessmen around round table. So you start to see the picture that there are a lot of ways to share Christ as we enter 2016. Let me give you a foretaste of some of the things that I'll talk more about in detail on the 24th of of January. We've been working three to four months on an, an initiative called Inside Out, ministries that start within our four walls, but then they, they, they bleed out into the community so that we can invite people into that. Just last week, I spent some time uh, at a, a, a ministry initiative called Revive Florida. Some of you might have heard about it. They go into cities and they they uh, pray for churches. They build unity with churches. 
They speak to businessmen about uh, sharing Christ in the in the workplace. They uh, work with youth. They work with children. Um, they they go uh, into the community. They do everyday marketplace uh, sharing of Christ. Some of you like are, are comfortable with that. They they meet people on the streets and in the grocery stores and whatnot, and they they share Christ. I spent hours with them last week because I'm thinking, hey, this is this is a model that I'd like to look at and to explore. And if any of you have questions about Revive Florida, I'll be standing right over there after the service. So you can say, hey, what's that about? And so as we look into the future, there are a lot of ways to expand. Exchange is expanding in such a way that's so exciting that I, I'm, I'd rather tell you right now, but I won't, beyond the four walls of, of, of 360. So a lot of things coming, a lot of initiatives coming in 2016. All that to say that as we look at this important moment in our timeline and as we look and strap on the goggles for 2016, we must talk about the humility then of sharing our faith. Because I believe that there is a strong sense of, when you use the word evangelism, there's this strong sense of, of fear that comes over people. Maybe you've had a bad experience. Maybe you've been in some evangelism program where, you know, it just went haywire. It was turn or burn. It was, you know, something that just causes some fear in front of you, uh, in, in your mind. I, I share with you a few weeks ago when I came to Christ, someone said, hey, you want to do street evangelism? I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm all in. I got in his car. It had big mega speakers on it. And we went through, you know, a neighborhood as he said, you're all going to hell. You're going to, I'm like, okay, that's evangelism to me. That's all I knew at the time. So I, I saw this picture, in fact, on, on Facebook, and I, I said, boy, this reminds me, when you say the word evangelism, you can see it in people's eyes. This is what it looks like. Anyway, maybe you don't feel that way, but I, I know a lot of people do. When we talk about evangelism, there are some humility pieces that I think are worthy of us talking about. Sorry, some of you are still getting over that picture. I'm so, <laughs> it will be like blazed in your memory. Some of them are obvious. Let me start with a couple of obvious ones. You see, there is, there is this point when we do outreach, there is this subtle moment that we can't miss. And it's, I'm going to make a distinction between outreach and sharing our faith, because you can have one, not the other. And it's a distinction I think it's important for us to make. See, I can do outreach, and I can reach out, and I can do something nice. I can give out food, I can give out clothing, and that's all well and good. But we have to be careful, because of the experience that we've had, we have to be careful that we don't hide behind the comfort of outreach and not open our mouths and share Jesus. That's tough. See, there comes that moment where Jesus must enter the picture. Otherwise, we're just being nice people. And I understand the mantra, I forget who it's attributed to, who says, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I understand the sense of that and I get the heartbeat behind that. But if I'm being honest with you, it doesn't true up with the New Testament. There is no, if necessary, use words. We speak the gospel. 
Now, I understand fully that we live our lives before people. We model what it was. But I know a lot of nice, nice people that are not Christians. In fact, some people that are not Christians are nicer than Christians. We know that, right? There's no big surprise. I know it sounds like a harsh statement, but it's, it's a reality. And because they're so nice, I've never personally gone up and said, you know, Bob, you're so nice. I, 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 can you tell me what your secret to niceness is? Sometimes we wait for that moment. And what I'm getting at is if we're not careful, we won't strap on the goggles. We will take the path of least resistance and we'll say, just because I'm being nice, I'm waiting for my neighbor to ask me why I'm so nice before I speak about Jesus. And there comes a point in time where we have to have that courage and that humility to say, you know what, I'd like to engage with you respectfully in a conversation about Jesus, about your spiritual life. Does that make sense? One of my favorite pastors in, in the U.S., his name is Bill Hybels, pastor of the Willow Creek Church in Chicago. He wrote a great book uh, about sharing our faith. The title is just stunning to me. Just walk across the room. I love the simplicity of that. Just walk across the room. Let's not make some theological you know, monstrosity out of this. Just walk across the room. And Hybels reminds us of something important. He says, most people who wind up in the kingdom of God, can trace their salvation back to a single life-changing conversation with a Christ follower. I can. How about you? It wasn't just because someone was being nice. It was that someone had the humility to open up their mind. So here's, open up their mouth. So here's the deal. Here's the first one, the obvious one. There's the humility of risk. The humility of risk. What will people think? If I start talking to them about Jesus. Now, quite honestly, that's in certain ways easier to talk to a person that I've never met before. You know what? Because I'm not going to see him again. It's tougher with my next door neighbor because I am going to see him or her again. There's this risk factor that causes us to protect ourselves, which is the opposite of selflessness, which is the opposite of Humility. There is this point in time where I have to say, gosh, I'm not sure what the reaction is going to be, but see, I'm going to be selfless and in humility, I'm going to go for it. Paul was this way. Paul was the, the massive evangelist in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, in fact, if you have your Bibles, you want to track with us. We're, I'm going to land here a bit this morning. In Acts chapter 20, it's, an, it's a significant place on the timeline of Paul's life, just like this today is. A significant point in, 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 in our, the life of our church for, for me to say, hey, we're going to turn outwards and stand on the shoulders of what we've been doing. And we're going to open up our doors. This was where, where Paul was. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, Paul says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, not necessarily because he wanted to, Not necessarily because he thought, you know, this is going to be my vocation. No, this was a change of plans for him. Would to God that you and me would be more compelled. That means I can't get away from it. That means I can't can't argue anymore that to be compelled by the Spirit. Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen there. Having no idea what the response. But God said, but I, I, I've given you a little bit of a clue, Paul. He goes on to say, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit has told me that it will be butterflies and bear claws. It's going to be awesome there, Paul. 
You see, the health and wealth thing just went right out the window, by the way. Paul, Paul is addressed by a guy. He says, I want you to sign up. In fact, I'm compelling you and you're going to be facing prisons and hardships. Strap on the goggles, Paul. You still in? I love that honesty that God has, that he's not sugarcoating the invitation to get involved and be on the team. So he says, I, I only know that prisons and har- prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life, here it is, worth nothing to me. Selflessness in black and white. If only I might finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So this past week, because I've I've been hanging out with Revive Florida people who are talking about sharing Christ, and they open up the conversation so respectfully with a person, and they say, hey, when you when you find a person, they say, hey, is there anything I can share, anything I can pray for you today for? That's how that's how the conversation opens up. So I'm I'm in the gym. I'm doing my thing on the treadmill. And suddenly God does that thing he does. He compelled me I'm like, no, 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 no. You know how it is, right? When God compels you and you're just like uncompelling, you want to be discompelled or whatever that would be. And and I every morning I wake up, I go early to the gym and there's the guy sitting there, same guy every morning and say, hey, how you doing? I don't even know the guy's name. Hey, how you doing? And then I walk right past him every day. Don't even say goodbye to him on the way. I'll just say, how you doing? And I feel God compel you to talk to that guy today. So like this, let's say this is the front door right here. And here's this guy facing the front door. And I'm over here and I'm leaving. I'm leaving the gym. I've packed up all my stuff. I'm approaching him. Heart is elevating. Heart rate is elevating. You know how it is. Let's be honest. It's the dog picture. I'm hearing the organ. Whatever. It's okay. It often means you're doing something right. And I'm, I'm approaching him and he's sitting there in the chair and I'll talk to him tomorrow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> My hand reaches the push bar and he says, Hey, have a good day. I'm saying, thank you. He says, stay dry. And he holds his cell phone up and he says, because it looks like it's going to rain a lot today. And he had like a wonder map thing, you know, with the radar thing. And I'm like, that's my cue. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Ever feel like your feet are like 50 pounds? <laughs> and I go back. I'm like, wow, it does look like it's going to rain. <sighs> I got a question for you. Is there anything that I could pray for you today for? You see, there is that moment. That's what I'm talking about. We all know it. Could be to the family member, next door neighbor, person in the line in the grocery store, all that, right? We all know it. It's that moment that if you like, mm, no, I'm not going to do it, that I'm encouraging to draw on humility of saying, whatever the risk, whatever the risk, I don't know the response like Paul. I don't know what's going to happen. And it could be hardship, but I count my life on that spot. Back as nothing. 
That's how you reach down for the encouragement to do it. Secondly, it requires in this moment a humility of dependence. You see, the opposite of humility is I'll do it on my own. I'm self, I'm self independent, right? I can do it on my own. For us, especially men, to depend on somebody else is a challenge. And to, in those moments, as you know, you remember Jesus said these words. Hey, at that time you'll be given what to say for it won't be you speaking. It's mysterious, but the spirit of, of your father, excuse me, speaking through you. You see, it's that mysterious mind. I mean, in that walk, I've never prayed so much in eight feet. God's giving me the words, just giving me the words. And then God's just saying, just walk across the room. Just ask him if there's anything that he could, you could pray for him for. And ask me and rely on me with the humility of dropping your self-reliance. And allow me to speak through your vocal cords and through your heart and through your mind. And God said, I will do it. If you'll just drop your selflessness and let the Holy Spirit be the evangelist. In fact, D.L. Moody said it so well. There is not a better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. You know, can I remind you? That our Savior was born in a borrowed manger. That He preached the Word of God in a borrowed boat. That He went around and slept in borrowed homes. That He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed mule. That He had His last dinner with His friends in a borrowed room. That He died and was buried in a, in a borrowed tomb. And now He's going to speak through the Word. To the world through a borrowed set of vocal cords. Yours. How amazing is this God who works with borrowed stuff that he's saying, can I borrow your vocal cords? Because I'm not going to shout from heaven. I'm going to use the vocal cords of human beings. That's the plan of the spec. How beautiful is that? There are more subtle, two more subtle things of humility. First, it's the humility of risk, not knowing how things may turn out. It's a humility of completely depending on God to use your vocal cords, to borrow your vocal cords in order to speak to the world. But there are two other more subtle things. Here's the deal. If we're going to share our faith with the world, I believe that there is the humility of planning. The humility of planning. To have a plan. Now, when we're sharing Christ individually, where that may be with family or the person standing in the grocery line, or it's more fluid. We don't need a plan. I didn't need that day to go to my car and write out an eight-point plan in order to come back and share with the guy at the desk. But when it comes to planning, when it comes to our collective team, I believe we do our best when we plan so we just don't go, let's go, great, Steve, so let's go, let's go, and just do it half-baked. You see, Jesus had a plan. Watch this. He said in Acts chapter 1, Now I've been with you boys for three years, three and a half years. I've been talking about, hey, I'm gonna, you're going to be my replacements here. And you're going to do greater things than I am. So he says, hey, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. He was a plan. Don't go yet. This is what God has infused in us. Don't go yet. Which you've heard me speak about for three and a half years. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and fuels you. That's part of the plan. Then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem. That's part of the plan. Specific location. Then all Judea and Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. See, God is a planner. He's got a blueprint for the whole universe. He just didn't say, hey, ah, darn it, forgot oxygen. All mapped out. All planned out. 
Not only that, there's a plan after, and this becomes a bit of a passion of mine because we work so hard to bring people to Christ, and after that, it's like, see you later. That's not the plan. Jesus said this way in, in, our, in the great challenge to us, the great commission, as we call it. Matthew 28, therefore go. But just don't go, make disciples. Make sure that there's a follow-up plan. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. It's part of the plan. Everything that I have commanded you. When I was leafing through this picture book of mine and the wacky pictures I showed you earlier, I found an interesting document. You see, the reason that we plan, are you ready for it? It matters. It matters. I'm planning for a trip to New York. It's the first time I've ever taken my my boys and their and their older outside of being babies outside the state of Florida. We're going to go to to New York City. I have bought eight books. Where to eat? Where to take a family? Where not to take a family? The museums? Why? It matters. It's going to cost me a lot. It's going to cost our time. It's dangerous. I want to know where to work, walk, where not to walk. All those things, right? We're in playoff season. I venture to say that no NFL team playing today just took the week off. No plan. They didn't look at the other team. And how, of course not. They looked at how the other team plays, how they run, how they catch, how they defend. They did X's and O's all week. You know why? Because it matters to them. They want to win the game. They want to win the, the ball game. And when it comes to us as, as a church collectively, if it really matters what happens to a newborn infant, if we are going to share the faith, we must have the humility not just to go and recklessly share the faith without following up because we owe it to those new children in Christ. So I saw this document in my, in my mom's six volume encyclopedic set of my, my life. And I saw this picture. My doctor who delivered me was Frank Angel, and it says, instructions for the care of your new baby. (laughs) Further evidence that God is in the house. That's all I'm saying. We aim to please. Oh, bless her heart. That's all right, man. No problem at all. We, we love the sound. It's music to our ears. And then I turn the page here, and this is what my mom typed out in 1959. 6 a.m. bottle, 7 a.m. nap, 10 a.m. bottle, 11 a.m. play, 11.30 nap, 1.30 bath, 2 o'clock bottle. It seems so perfect. Uh, <laughs> Three o'clock nap, six o'clock bottle, seven plate. You see, you know why? Be- Nighty night at eight. Hey, I wasn't gonna read that part. Jeez, it's a lot. You know why? Because I mattered. I mattered. We must be compelled, compelled, not only to share Christ, but have the humility to have a plan. This is the value of us stopping and creating and spending years. And now we're prepared because we have a plan. I had the privilege of sitting down 
with the leader back in December. I had arranged a meeting with the leader of this this movement, Revive Florida. They've been in London. They've been in, they're going to Dallas. They've been in Indiana and in seven cities, just all over. And I looked at their discipleship material and, and their follow-up and whatnot, and I said, is there any way I can meet with you? And I shared, I said, hey, here's what we've been doing over the last seven years. And he opened it up and said, I'm not sure I can contain myself. I think I'm going to weep because God laid it on my heart that when I came to Sarasota, I would talk to someone about discipleship because this is all new for us. And I want to learn how to better follow up. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Thank God for someone who takes it that seriously. One more. There's a humility of going in for risk, not knowing what the consequences are going to be. There's a humility of depending on God, and there's the, the humility of planning together to wait. And there's the humility of balance. It will always be there. When we say, hey, it's go time, it's so tempting to say, yay, we're going to go. But let me one more time remind us of this mantra. Would you say it with me? We cannot reach over to reach out. We cannot. So when you look at the life of Paul, the great evangelist, in Acts chapter 20, where he says, I feel compelled to go by by the Spirit to go. I don't know what's awaiting me except prison and hardship, and but I feel compelled to get this task done to testify to the to, to the grace of God. I gotta go. But sandwiched before that and after that in his final speech to them, we see a balance of his life. Watch. Right before that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, Paul says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. You see, you read the story of Paul, you think, well, he just bounced around. Now he said, the whole time I was, I stayed and I, we learned to live together. And there was a reason for that. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord, here it is, with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and I've been in your homes. I'm not just jumping out into the marketplace. I've been in your homes from house to house. And then Paul says, then he says, so I feel compelled to go now, but I've spent time with you, but I feel compelled to go. And then after he says, I feel compelled to go in verse 28, he says, now watch before I go. Let me tell you something. Keep watch over yourselves. Watch yourselves. There's a trajectory that could take you off course and all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you watchers over overseers, guardians, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, the trajectory could go off. Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard and watch. He says, remember that for three years, not three days, three weeks, three months, but for three years, I never stopped warning each of you every single night, every single day with tears. I have spent time with you so that we're tight. Now I'm going, but we're not going to lose this. And at the end of his talk with them, we get to see the heart of Paul. Watch. When he had said this in verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they all wept. See, they had grown. They had gelled it to a point that mattered. They had gelled it to a point 
that most churches don't get to. They wept and they embraced each other and they kissed him. You see, let me be real transparent in this moment with you. As a pastor, the reason that I have lost sleep this week is that because you carry the care of a congregation. And you're very careful, like, oh, we can't move too quick because it leaves too many people behind. And I recognize, especially in the migratory nature of our culture these days, that there are probably two groups of people here. There are the people that have been, that you've heard the vision or plan over and over, that if you hear it one more time, you're going to jump off something. I, I get that. But there's a reason, I'll tell you in a minute. Then there are those of you that are more new to 360, and you're like, man, I... I'm just getting this thing. I'm not sure. I've come from other church cultures and whatnot. And so let me talk to you first. See, we're we're planners because it matters to us. So when I open up the doors now and say, we're going to go to the outside, the concern that lays on my heart is that we're just like, great, let's just go and do and do. And like, no, we can't. And I hope that you'll know that. And I hope you'll hear that from my heart. And I hope that you know it matters enough to be part of the team because we cannot and will not go out into the community while we're not caring for ourselves because it doesn't look good for God. And we must prepare ourselves. Now, for those of you that have been rowing in the boat with us and understand the vision, here's the reason I repeat it myself a lot. You see, we started this thing on that timeline when we wrote the vision out with just a handful of people praying, praying that God would make Five turned into ten, the ten would go to twenty, and and now we've probably got a hundred, hundred and twenty five, hundred and fifty people that understand that in order to go out there we must we must be prepared in discipleship. We must be pre- prepared to care for one another. We have to learn how to have hard conversations. We have to learn how to be story collectors. We have to learn all these things. We have to prepare a discipleship uh, track that we can now use out there. You understand that. Are you ready? I need you. I'm counting on you of those that know and understand the vision in your small groups and your discipleship time because it all can't be this guy or a handful of us so that when the trajectory starts like, hey, yeah, let's go. Wait, 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 wait. We got a call. I'm counting on you to help hold the fort. This was the message of Paul before we go out. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you to keep it straight because, see, It would be easy if we go to the next picture. It would be easy to say, hey, here's the big church. Here's Sunday morning church. And now we're just going to go out to the community and bring people in. But see, that would be so reckless in my mind. It it would be going out as if we're prepared or not. uh, And we're really not. My my son gave me a a Christmas card this this year. It was a handmade card. And uh, it was very encouraging. This, This is the card I got. There it is. You're the best dad in the world and the strongest. Although someone pointed out in the first service, I think that says the strangest. (laughs) Merry Christmas. But see, this is what it looks like, as crazy as that is. I know I've really burned some weird images in your mind, man. 
Oh, gosh. Sorry about that. But if we don't, if we haven't prepared ourselves, like we go out in these false muscles as if we're ready. And this is why I'm so profoundly thankful for a church and for those of you that said, okay, let's dig in. Let's love one another like Jesus has. And we're ready to open the doors because I feel by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're ready. And I'm telling you, I may be the most thankful person on the planet on this spec this morning. For those of you that said, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. Because see, can you t- please, <laughs> honestly, this is, we move toward the red circle, right? And so in this area, this is where we've learned to have courageous conversations and, and to, to, to be that to one another and, and to be story collectors and learn how to listen. See, when I went to the guy at the desk, his name is Brad. I could do that because I've learned here how to listen. I've learned how to have courage and humility because we, we spent time together and I knew how to story collect. So then when he was telling about his operation that he was a, a vet and that he ran out of insurance and that he had to go to the VA and, ha- and just things about everything that has happened because we spent time caring for one another, I knew how to care for Brad. And now my muscles are not fake. Now what I can do is go to the outside and, and incorporate the... In- do you, do you, does that make sense? So I go up to Brad in the gym. Never said more than two words to him. I take the humility of risk. The humility of depending on God. Hey man, is there anything I can pray for you today for? His first response? No, I'm good. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Temptation. And he said, well actually I do have this, I had this operation. And I had a gallstone about the size of a nickel pierced through my intestine it got infected and he told me a lot of other pretty gross things I won't say but just hardship I had a meeting to go to to be frank with you but because I we've taught each other you've taught me you've taught me you've taught me because we spent time and we've learned to be rather than just to learn to do. I kept asking him one question after the next. And I left 17 minutes later. You see, sometimes people are just waiting to be heard. Just waiting to have a listening ear. And are you ready? Just waiting for some light. Waiting for God to use some borrowed vocal cords to bring the hope of Jesus. Strap on the goggles. Let's pray. Father, we are constantly stunned that you would borrow our voice. Constantly surprised, God. But God, you compel us. I pray, first of all, God, for this church, and I so, as you know my heart, so profoundly thankful 
for those who have been willing to put both oars in the water and wait because it matters. Those who have been willing to learn how to be rather than just jump in things to do. Those who have been willing to be discipled and to disciple. Those who have been willing to have hard conversations, to learn story collecting, to care for one another as Christ cared for us, God. I thank you for that because I feel, God, that that, that they make this church ready. I pray, Father, for those who are newer to our church, God, that they will feel that same sense of responsibility of having a plan and and understanding and the, the balance of being in and outside your church walls. Father, we thank you, God, for those like Paul who just didn't go, but he waited, he invested, he wept, he embraced, he taught, he learned, he understood, and then he went. So, Father, this church today, we pray for 2016, as the, as the leader of this church, God, as the pastor of this church, I say openly before your people, I am nothing. I truly am nothing without you, God. None of our, none of our smarts, our logic, our creativity, none of that, God, is worth anything without depending completely on you to articulate through us your desires for this year, where to go, how to do it, the brilliance of your planning, God, all of those things. We as a church collectively today bow before you and humble ourselves before you and ask you to lead us. I pray, God, that this will be a church that cares for the outside and the inside. And I pray it will be a church full of humility, God, whether it's standing in a, in a room with family or standing in the line at the grocery store that we will count like Paul ourselves as nothing in order to accomplish the task before us. So, Father, here we are, your people. Use us. Borrow us, God. Borrow our voices. Borrow our feet. Borrow our hands. They are yours, God. For Jesus and his kingdom, amen.